Well, we have been going through on Wednesday nights, looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And tonight we are to a topic on the ministry of the Holy Spirit and our relationship with the Holy Spirit that, to be honest, is a very challenging thing to discuss. We're talking about sins against the Holy Spirit. Sins against the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about five different ways that people sin against the Holy Spirit. Three of these are ways that believers sin against the Spirit, and two are ways that unbelievers can sin against the Spirit. So my desire tonight is not necessarily to give you an exhaustive study on all of the nuances of the sins against the Spirit, but rather to give us an overview and to challenge our hearts about this very important topic. I read a story recently about a man who purchased a beautiful home. And uh, after he moved into that home and furnished it, made it very comfortable, he uh, invited a friend to come and to live with him in his house. And his friend moved in with him and he gave his friend a, a place in the guest room to stay and a nice bed to sleep in and, and gave him a place there at his, at his kitchen table or at the dining room table to be able to enjoy meals with him. But after a while, this man, because he you know, was a very friendly guy, he invited another friend to come and stay with his, in his house as well. And so now he had two friends living in his house. But in time, he spent more time with this other friend. And so he, he told the first friend, hey, you need to share the bedroom with this other friend because we just don't have two separate bedrooms. And then in time said, you know, we need you to give up the guest bed. We need you to sleep on the floor because there's room for the, so that there's room for my new guest. And in fact, this went on so long, eventually he told the first friend, he said, you know, there's, there's not room for you to sit at this table and to eat with this anymore. Well, after a while, that first friend really got discouraged and finally uh, left. And uh, in some ways, that story is like our spiritual relationship with the Holy Spirit. You see, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. And He is our friend. He is there as our comforter, the Bible calls Him. He is there with us to convict us and to guide us and to lead us and to encourage us. Sometimes we get so busy in life that we invite other friends to come and, and live with us. And in time, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We push Him away. And we no longer have that close relationship with Him and experience His power in our lives as we should. Now, if you want to take time, I'm sure you can poke holes in my illustration. So, but I want you to understand that a relationship with God, with His Holy Spirit, is a very personal and it is a very intimate thing. And it is possible, as we'll see tonight, to sin against the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, there are very negative consequences for us as people. So I want to start tonight by giving you three different ways that a Christian can sin against the Holy Spirit. And when the Christian sins against the Holy Spirit, he loses or limits 
God's blessing in his life. The first way that we can sin against the Holy Spirit, we actually looked at it just a few weeks ago in our study in the book of Acts. Turn over to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. All right, if anybody's paying attention and thinking about Acts 5 and what was going on there, does anybody know the names of the two people in Acts 5 that sinned against the Holy Spirit? Yeah, Ananias and Sapphira. We had the shouted out, we had the hand raised. I appreciate both, but it was Ananias and Sapphira, right? And what was their sin against the Holy Spirit? What was it? They lied to the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's look at that quickly together tonight. I know it's a familiar passage to us. Acts chapter 5, verse 1, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira's wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? See, their sin was not in selling the land. The sin was not in only giving a portion of the sale price to the Lord. The sin was the fact that they lied to God about it. They lied to the Holy Spirit by saying they were giving the full amount when in reality they were keeping back part of it for themselves. Again, the sin is not keeping back part for yourself. Just don't lie and say you're giving all if you're not giving all. Don't lie. Lying to the Holy Spirit. This story teaches us, I think, that lying is something that we say that is not true with our lips, right? It's something we're saying with our lips that is not true. These, this couple pretended to give the entire price of the land, but in reality, they only gave a portion of it. The amount of the offering was not the issue, for the land was in their power. Their decision to live a lie was what offended God's Spirit. The sin was not in keeping a portion of the sale. The sin was in disobeying the Spirit and projecting a lie. See, a lie is not just something we say with our lips. Letter B, lying also means projecting something that is not true with your life. There are some people that lie with what they say, yes, and there are others as well that lie by what they do. Have you ever thought about that? How do you lie by what you do? Well, here, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they plotted together this hypocrisy. They decided to appear to be something rather than to walk truthfully and genuinely in the Spirit. Amazingly, from the early days of Christianity, people have been trying to fake a spirit-filled life. We are guilty of that sometimes, are we not? Faking that we are or pretending, masquerading as if we are living this spirit-filled life when in reality, we are not. To put up a false front of spirituality is to lie against the Holy Spirit. It's to pretend as if my life is filled with the Spirit. I am walking in the Spirit. I am obedient to the Spirit when in reality we are not. 
It is no wonder that people who would lie to the Spirit in the way that they live cannot and do not experience the blessings and power of God in the way that they could if they were not lying to the Spirit. God desires for us to be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Philippians 3.10 tells us that. God is repulsed by a lack of spiritual authenticity. And isn't it easy? The Pharisees were good at this, right? They were doing the right things, but they weren't doing them out of the right heart. They represented themselves to be spiritual, but Jesus called them something. He called them whited sepulchers, full of dead man's bones. It's like a gravestone that was all clean and polished up, even painted on the outside to look good, but the reality is, underneath that, it's just full of dead man's bones. May we not be whited sepulchers. May we live sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Look over with me to another passage where the Bible speaks about this false Christianity or this masquerading, spirit-filled life, Revelation 3, verse 15 and 16. Revelation 3, verse 15 and 16. Here, as he's writing to the different churches, writes to the church at Laodicea, he makes this statement, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot, so because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. That is a strong statement for God to make here. I will spew thee out of my mouth. Why would God want to spit something out? He says, because it's lukewarm. Because it's not cold and it's not hot. It's people who are going through the motions, just doing what is enough to get by so that others think, well, they must be a pretty good person. But in reality, they're living a lie. They've lied to the Holy Spirit. A lack of authenticity in the Christian life makes God sick to His stomach. We often can pick out the sins of people. Well, that must make God sick to His stomach. And yet when the sinner comes with a contrite heart, just like when Jesus talked about the difference between that man who humbled himself and prayed in the temple and he said, Oh God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. God wants to be merciful to sinners. But those that he spews out are those who are masquerading a faithful Christian life. God allowed Ananias and Sapphira to die as a public example so that fear would come upon all the Christians. And that's what happened here. You can see that in verse 11 of Acts 5. He says, And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Your relationship with God is not about perfection, but rather it is about sincerity. You and I are not perfect. We will not be perfect, but we should be striving to be like Jesus. But in that striving, it's not just a striving for perfection. It is a walk of sincerity. 
my relationship with my children, my relationship with my wife, those will have struggles. Those will have things. These people that are close to me know me very well. I'm not perfect. I will fail. It's not an excuse to keep on failing, but I will do it. But when I'm failing, I need to ask for forgiveness and live a life of sincerity, spiritual sincerity. Develop this valid Christian life and not just an outward appearance of spirituality. The world doesn't need any more fake Christians pretending to be something that they are not. We have plenty of those. The world needs to see God in His power through His Spirit and the fullness of His power extended to this world and exhibited in your life through genuine spiritual fruit. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the fruit of the Spirit that come through a genuine Spirit-filled walk with God. May we not try to force that fruit by pretending to manifest fruit that in reality is not there. And here's the challenge, Christian. The longer you're saved, the easier it gets to go through the motions. It's maybe easier for me to go through the motions than it might be for you if you've only been saved a short time. That's something that is interesting to think about because often we think of the Christian life, you know, at the beginning it's really difficult because i got all this stuff I need to change. And that is challenging. But one of the challenges of becoming more mature in your faith is getting to the place where you just kind of shift into neutral and go on autopilot. And when we do that, we are... We are sinning against the Holy Spirit. We are lying to the Spirit. Maybe not with our lips. We're saying all the right things. But with our life. Because it's just become now my new habits, my new culture, my new thing. And as long as I read my Bible and come to church and pray every once in a while and and say the right things and, and don't yell at anybody, everybody will think I'm a pretty good person. Oh, may we have Christians who live an authentic Christian life. You know, the more we walk with Jesus and really see Him for who He is and all of His righteousness and His glory and His great sacrifice that He made for us, it ought to cause us to be much more clear about our own sin and our own struggles. Jesus said it this way, there's none good but God. We aren't living a life just striving to get better and better and better. We ought to be living a life that just says, I want to be more and more real in my walk with God so that my walk with God is clearly changing me, not to make me a better person, but because I want to be more like the Lord. I want to be more like Christ. This first sin of lying to the Holy Spirit. I think if we're honest, if I'm honest, you're honest. You may not do this every day. I hope you don't. But this is a real struggle that all believers have. And I would say, with at risk of maybe stomping too hard on somebody's toes tonight, if you're sitting here thinking, well, I've never lied to the Holy Spirit, it's probably a sign... (laughs) that you're lying to the Holy Spirit. Be careful. 
Now, it doesn't mean we walk around on eggshells and, oh, no, I, I, I may be misrepresenting, maybe doing something wrong. But when you sense that maybe your life isn't as authentic as it should be, when, when you feel God's tugging at your heart and convicting of you, you of sin, don't push that away and say, wow, I'm, I'm not as bad as that person. I haven't done anything too bad. Instead, just confess it to the Lord. Lying to the Holy Spirit. Number two, quenching the Holy Spirit. There's one verse in the Bible that refers to this very clearly. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 19 says it this way, Quench not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. The word quench means to extinguish or to put out. It would be like if I lit a candle up here and, and then I poured some water on that and I extinguished that flame. That, that's what it means to quench. Have you ever sat by a campfire? Some of our teens are going to go camping this weekend. Have you ever sat by a campfire for a long time? You know, as you sit there, that fire changes, doesn't it? If you just sit there and don't do anything, eventually the fire will go out just due to the fact you haven't added any new fuel to that fire. Without fuel, it grows steadily dimmer. I've sat around a few campfires on cool evenings, and at first, when the fire's going, it's so hot, you have to back up your seat away from the fire because it's so hot. I've even melted the tips of my shoes or my boots before because they just were a little too close to the fire. But then what happens over time, you kind of have to scoot your chair a little closer and a little closer because the fire just starts to die down. It's interesting that God compares His Holy Spirit to something like a fire that could be quenched. Could be quenched. And I think this is a helpful illustration for us to picture what our relationship with the Holy Spirit is like. The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is like a fire. It is dynamic. It is constantly changing. It is desiring the fuel of a tender heart that it might continue to burn more passionately for the Lord. This fire is, is either growing hotter and hotter and burning brighter and brighter because you're fueling this fire or it is growing colder and dimmer because you're, you are quenching this fire. Quench not the Spirit in your life today. What are you doing? Do your actions, do your words, do they allow and encourage the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Or are your actions and words quenching the work of the Spirit in your life? That's an interesting thought to think about, isn't it? Before I do this next thing, right? Teens, when you go to school, Children, when you're at home with your parents. Adults, when you're going to work and having conversations. When you're in the different things that life take, brings along your path. Are you encouraging the work of the Spirit in your life through a tender heart? Through confessing your sin to God? Through spending time really seeking God's face in His Word? Not just reading it just to say, I did. But saying, God, what do you have for me? Or are you instead doing things to quench His work? I don't have time to read the Bible. 
I'm too busy with this over here. I'm too distracted with that over there. And you quench the work of the Spirit. Lying to the Spirit, quenching the Spirit, and number three, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 to 31, talk about grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Grieving the Holy Spirit of God. I understand some of these really do have overlap in their idea, but I'm covering each of them separately just because they're referred to differently in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 to 31 says this, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Look at verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. The word grieve means to distress or to make sad or to cause heaviness. The word provides such an intimate perspective on our daily relationship with the Lord. Because to, 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 to think that you actually could grieve or distress or to make God sad must mean that God wants to have a very close personal relationship with you and me. Isn't it interesting that God cares enough about you and your situation that it would make him be happy or sad at all? Doesn't it feel sometimes like God is so big and doing so many other things that he doesn't have time to care about what we say or do, and it doesn't really affect him? Think about this. Does it really affect you that much when somebody talks about you and you don't even know about it, or somebody says something against you and you're like, I don't even know who they are? I mean, I've driven down the road a few times and have people come around and make comments and wave at me and honk at me, and I don't even know what they did it for. And I kind of am bothered for a second, like, what did I do? And then I just go on down the road, and I don't even think about it again. Why? Because I don't have a relationship with that person. And I might say it this way, just like you might. I really don't care what they think about me. But that's not how God is with us. of the fact that it is possible to grieve the Holy Spirit of God, that means God cares about your relationship with Him. It is possible to grieve His Spirit. And here in Ephesians 4, He gives us some ways that we grieve His Spirit when we speak wrong things, when we have corrupt communication coming out of our mouth. When we are bitter, our bitterness grieves the Spirit of God. Why? Because God wants to wash away all that sin. He wants to take that bitterness away. He wants you to confess it to Him and make it right. Bitterness, wrath, anger. If you understand who you are in Christ, that your sins have been forgiven, that you're on your way to heaven, that you have eternal life ahead of you and you have God working in you right now, you don't have anything to be upset about. You can walk with Him. God is good. No matter what others have done to you, God is good and He is faithful. 
Don't be bitter. Evil speaking, put it away from you. God desires a close personal relationship with us. But this is the fact. It is easiest to grieve those who are closest to us. It is easiest to grieve those who are closest to you. If you and I don't have a close personal relationship, to be honest, it doesn't affect me that much what you do. But the closer you are with somebody, the more what they say and do really affects you. It affects how you feel. It affects how you think. It affects everything about you. You Think about my relationship with those closest with me, my family. It's probably a lot easier for me to offend my children than it is to offend your children because they live at my house. They know when daddy's attitude isn't right, when he's not doing the right thing. My wife knows when I might be able to put on the right face in the right, in, in, with others, but she knows when I'm being sarcastic or rude. Why? Because she's the closest to me. So how is it possible for us to grieve the Holy Spirit? It's because He wants to have a close personal relationship with you. And we grieve the Holy Spirit when we allow this sin to dwell in our heart and to come out of our lips and to, and to fill our lives. The Holy Spirit wants intimacy in your heart. Be sensitive to His presence and desire to keep open communication with Him at all times. Man, you know what I'm talking about. You've come home, you've done something or said something, and you don't know what it was, but you did something and your wife's just kind of cold towards you. And you said, what, what did I do? And she probably said, nothing. And you know that it wasn't nothing, it was something. You said, no, really what I did? Well, I don't want to tell you because you don't really want to listen. And she's right, because you don't want to listen. But you know, if you want to have a close relationship, you will listen. Why? Because that relationship is important. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. D.L. Moody said this. He was a great preacher here in America back many years ago. He said this about this relationship with the Holy Spirit. He says, I, I firmly believe that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and self-seeking and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will come and fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition and self-seeking and pleasure and the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. And I believe many a man is praying to God to fill him when he is full already with something else. What a statement. He's already full of something else. He doesn't have any room for the Spirit of God to do His work. When you sense that that closeness with the Holy Spirit has been harmed, make it right. Confess your sin to God. Ask Him to renew your relationship with Him. Don't become calloused to the working of the Holy Spirit and stop sensing His grief 
and his conviction in your heart. Because you know what? We can do this with the human relationships that we have as well. You ignore that grief, you ignore that pain long enough, eventually become callous to it, and you say, don't bother me anymore, I'm not interested. And you go off by yourself and you do your own thing because you're not interested in that person's grief or pain anymore because you've just moved on, you become callous to it. How much more important is our relationship with God? When the Holy Spirit is grieved, we can sense it if we're paying attention. Make it right. We've talked about lying to the Spirit, quenching the Spirit, and grieving the Holy Spirit. I want to give you two more before we're done. And these are sins against the Holy Spirit that are sins of those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that's a very important distinction to make, and you'll see why here in just a moment. Number four there in your notes is resisting the Holy Spirit. Resisting the Holy Spirit. When Stephen preached his message there in Jerusalem, and remember right after this he was stoned and put to death, he says in Acts chapter 7 and verse 51, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Now that verse has a special significance to me after teaching this class in Jeremiah that I'm teaching because over and over Jeremiah refers to their uncircumcised eyes, their uncircumcised ears, their uncircumcised hearts. In other words, in their life, they weren't set apart to God. They were living their lives for themselves. And because of that, God brought judgment upon Judah and the children of Israel. And Stephen here quoting from Jeremiah, or at least referring back to the prophet Jeremiah, is saying, you're doing the same thing. You're resisting the Holy Ghost, just like your fathers did. So do ye. Have you ever thought about who was resisting the Holy Spirit that day? Well, Saul was. Saul heard that message that day. And I think that is partially what's being referred to later in Acts chapter 9 that we looked at this past Sunday where the Lord said to Saul, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He said, it's hard for you to go the wrong direction. These were those pricks, those goads that God was using to point Saul in the right direction. But when Saul first heard that message from Stephen, he was resistant to the work of God. These men were resisting the conviction and the invitation of the Holy Spirit. They were opposed to what God was telling them to do in their hearts. When an unsaved person comes under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, he must make a choice. Either respond with an open heart to God and receive what the Holy Spirit is saying or resist it and oppose it. But this is a dangerous thing to do. Why is it dangerous to resist the Holy Spirit of God? I mean, if you're not saved anyway, why does it matter? The Holy Spirit's not dwelling inside of you yet. So you're not grieving the Holy Spirit. Why does it matter? Why should you not resist the Holy Spirit of God if you're not saved? Well, it's dangerous because you don't know 
if the Holy Spirit will ever speak to you again in the same way that He's speaking to you right now. God often gives second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh chances, but He's under no obligation to do so. And I would say this even on a Wednesday night. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and the Holy Spirit is convicting you of your sin and you know you've done wrong and know that you need to trust Christ, don't resist His Spirit. Don't resist what could be your last opportunity to be saved. And then finally tonight, I want to cover one that is often misunderstood, and that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Remember, these two, resisting the Holy Spirit and blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, are sins that those who do not know Christ as their Savior can commit. Matthew 12, verse 31, Jesus said this, Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. So what is to blaspheme? Well, that means to vilify or to speak impiously. That's a big word too. Good thing you didn't have to spell that one in your notes or some of you wouldn't be getting chocolate tonight. So I, made, I didn't put that one in there. It's easy for you. Blasphemy is to vilify or to speak impiously. It is to fully reject with absolute scorn and disdain, or it is to absolutely deny. This goes then beyond resisting the Holy Spirit. This is to outright reject the Holy Spirit. This is what has often been referred to as the unpardonable sin. But there are many that misunderstand this unpardonable sin. I've talked to many people over the years, many, a few in churches who say, well, I just don't know if I could ever be saved because I think I might have committed the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. I've done this sin, and so I've prayed over and over and over. I've tried to trust the Lord as best I know how. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong, but I just don't know if I can ever get saved because I've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. Well, here's the thing. If you know you're a sinner, if you've confessed your sin to God, then He's promised to save you. To blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is to outright reject Him and say, no, 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 never. So if you have trusted in the Lord, clearly you've not blasphemed against the Holy Spirit of God. Because the blaspheme is to reject Him forever. The Bible says this, Whosoever will may come. Revelation twenty two seventeen. And the Spirit, there's the Holy Spirit, and the bride say, come. And let him that is a thirst say, come. And let him, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Whosoever will. So if you will, if you want to trust Christ as your Savior, He will never cast you out. He will save you. See, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the deliberate choice of the will to say, no, I will not. Not I will. I will trust Christ. It's I will not. It's the choice to defiantly choose not to be saved. 
God saves no one against their will. God's never forced anybody to be saved. But God saves everyone who is willing to be saved. C.H. Spurgeon said it this way, Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without wind or chariots without horses. Like branches without sap, we are withered like coals without fire. We are useless. As an offering without the sacrificial flame, we are unaccepted. When you make it a habit of offending the Holy Spirit, you are robbing yourself of one of the greatest joys in the Christian life. The joy of getting to walk in the Spirit. To experience the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life. You know, life gets boring when nothing changes, when everything's the same all the time. For young people, it's like, i got to have something new to do every day because it's boring. But as you get older, it can get boring too. Whatever changes. If God's Holy Spirit is at work in your heart, if you're spending time with Him and growing in Him and walking with Him in in a right spirit, with right obedience before Him, with a genuine heart, an authentic Christian life, it's a wonderful thing because God's Holy Spirit is constantly at work in you to change you and to grow you. Doesn't mean every day you feel like shouting from the rooftops, Oh, it's so wonderful to be a Christian. No, there are days it doesn't feel very wonderful to be a Christian. But it does mean that over time, I believe you will experience God's work of growth and change in your life through His Holy Spirit. But if you're at a point in your life where you've stalled out, where you've hit a plateau, where you are not moving forward spiritually, consider, have you been lying to the Holy Spirit? Presenting yourself as something that you're really not. Because it's easier now just to play the game, to walk the walk and talk the talk, but not to actually live it from a pure heart than it is to deal with your sin. The devil loves to tempt people into thinking that, you know what, if you ever actually made that right, everybody would laugh at you or people would wonder, what's wrong with them? I didn't know they'd been covering that up that whole time. Most people think it'd be easier just to cover up and deal with my sin or cover up my sin and don't deal with it than to have to deal with it and confess it and make it right. What would everybody else think? My friend, we'd love to think that you're growing in the Lord. But the reality is when you're not, it hurts you and it hurts everybody else around you. We've talked about this a lot. The church is a body, right? Bodies need to grow, but when they grow, they need to grow together. If you ever see somebody's body and one part of their body isn't growing in measure with the rest of their body, not only do they look different and strange, you say something is wrong with that person's body. Something is causing that particular part of their body not to develop along with the rest of it. And in time, that body part, rather than helping the rest of the body, becomes a liability to the rest of that body. In a church body, every part is important. You are important 
to the work that God is doing here. You and I both, as individuals, need God's Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Don't let yourself fall into the trap of lying to the Holy Spirit by thinking that, well, I know God knows, but it's better that He knows than everybody else knows. Because if everybody else knew, I don't know what they'd think of me. Listen, your relationship with God is so much more important than what everybody else thinks of you. Don't fall into the trap of lying to the Holy Spirit. Be careful not to grieve the Spirit of God. He loves you. He is dwelling in you. He wants to fill you and control you and have a close communion and conversation with you all the time. Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't lie to the Spirit. And like 1 Thessalonians 5 says, don't quench the Spirit. Don't be pouring water on the flame of, of God at work in your life and trying to discourage His work. No, look for ways to stoke that flame, to build it up. Let God's Holy Spirit do His work in your life. Thank you for listening tonight. I know it's the middle of the week. And this is, was not the easiest subject matter on a Wednesday night. I didn't want to discourage you. I don't want to discourage you. I want to encourage you. But I would challenge you tonight, even as we get ready to go to prayer in our groups, that before we do that, take a moment even right where you're sitting. If God has showed you something in your heart, the Holy Spirit has convicted you, don't quench that. He says, you know, we could have a closer relationship, but you need to deal with this bad conversation, with these bad words, with, with uh, this rudeness that's just normally spouting out of you all the time, with, with this bad attitude that you're carrying around. Confess it to the Lord. Being able to experience the work of the Spirit in your life is a wonderful thing. This doesn't mean that this is sort of one of these one-time decisions. Well, I've done it, and now I'll never struggle again. This is a daily thing. In fact, the Apostle Paul said that he had to die to his flesh daily. And then every day when he woke up, he said, Lord, less of me and more of you. Lord, forgive me for when I fail. And get right into it. Why? Because the people that you're closest with are the ones it's easiest to grieve. And so it is a daily, moment-by-moment -moment process of walking in a right relationship with Him. So let's take just a minute right now. I'm going to bow my head and I'm going to pray out loud. But I invite you to pray in your heart, in your seat, and talk to the Lord. Lord, we thank You that when Jesus ascended back up into heaven, shortly after that, He sent his Holy Spirit that now dwells in each believer. But Lord, even as your children, and many here tonight are, it is easy for us to have invited other guests in. And we've spent so much time with them that we've not allowed your Spirit to fully dwell in us and control us and fill us in every part of our lives. We've relegated Him to a corner. 
We've relegated him to the other room. Lord, we need the Holy Spirit working in and through all of us. Pray that you'd help our church as you continue to do your pruning and, and your work, convicting work in each of our hearts and lives. Show us what needs to change. Renew our desire to walk with you in truth and in spirit that our lives would not be fake, but that it would be real, that we would walk with you in a real demonstration of your Spirit's power, not just in a, a phony thing that we've learned to put on. We can fake other people out sometimes, but Lord, we can't fake you out. You know our hearts. Help us now, I pray in Jesus' name.